Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. I am very excited to talk to Lainey DeLong. I've always been fascinated by detection dogs and military working dogs, where they're bred, where they're trained, how it all works. And she is part of a most extraordinary all-American facility in North Carolina called K2K9. Lainey, it was so interesting to me to discover this incredibly intense, serious edifice, a 125-acre purpose-built facility that can house up to 320 dogs. And I was fascinated because I learned about you from a wonderful first-time novelist who you trained to do canine detection in schools in Colorado. Kathleen Donnelly with her book, Chasing Justice. And she said, oh, Lainey DeLong taught me everything I know. I said, oh, I want to talk to someone who taught you everything you know, because you already know a lot. But you've moved to North Carolina from Colorado. And what you're doing, K2 and Cobra Canine, is to me absolutely astounding. The, the sort of scope of training these dogs for law enforcement and special operations forces. Did you see yourself going from Blue Dog, which was your own company, to helping run K2K9? So um, how that kind of started was um, while I was living in Colorado, um, I had a couple businesses, including my um, my business, Blue Dog. And um, I came across um, K2 Solution Handler working one of the Denver Bronco games. And I had never um, known uh, about a civilian side of canine handling. Um, I was law enforcement and, um, you know, I knew of law enforcement and military canine handlers. I didn't know that we were doing um, civilian side. Um, so I was really interested and I started looking into the company. And um, they were offering a part-time handler job um, in Denver. So I decided to um, take it and... Um, Came out to North Carolina, did the course, um, got paired with a dog, and came back to Colorado, and I worked at part-time working um, events, and um, really got um, interested in the company, and um, ended up uh, meeting my boyfriend through that, and um, in that process, decided to um, kind of come help um, further the company along and move to North Carolina. 
it's a it's a big leap from taking a course, having a, a dog who you can work, I suppose, at, you know, I don't know, a football game to oh. looking at this, the aerial view of the 125 acres that have been built to house up to 320 dogs, but to house them under the Animal Welfare Act and USDA regulations, mm -hmm. which is a big part of this because working dogs really, the ones who work, we all know this now because I've interviewed so many people in the field, those dogs love what they're doing. They want to work, whether they're purpose-bred for it or whether it just came out in their genes somehow, but they need to also be given a quality of life and to live well and safely and comfortably. And I'm wondering about that aspect of it. I mean, how much downtime do they have? I see long rows of kennels, which are obviously built beautifully and obviously air-conditioned because it's North Carolina, <laughs> but and huge amounts of ground on which you run them to do, that you, you teach them detection of IEDs, HMEs, which is homemade explosives, and booby traps, which is, I'd love to know how you train them to do that. <laughs> but tell me what a dog's day is like. So we, um, we actually have our own breeding program for Labradors. Um, so we have um, kind of two aspects of um, what we do. So our security services is all, um, well, mostly Labradors that we use for person detection um, because they're less scary for people because yes. um, we work crowds, right? So we work, you know, events and, and things like that. So we use our Labradors for that. Um, and then we have what we call our pointy ears. So the German Shepherds, the Malinois, the Dutch Shepherds. Um, are mostly our um, MPC or our multi-purpose canines, which are police dogs, military yes. dogs. Yes. But we also have some single-purpose dogs that um, we use because we just started getting into cargo um, screening, um, which is a whole other story. But um, we can use um, some of those pointy ears for that. So um, we have a wide range of dogs. And then we have our Labrador puppies <clears throat> that we train from puppies all the way up to um, our finished dogs. And so we have multiple trainers. Um, I think we have about 14 right now that start from puppies. Um, we have a puppy trainer, then we have a, um, a basics truck and a green dog truck, and um, then we have our finishing truck, and then we go. they go onto the courses um, trucks. Um, so it kind of depends on where the puppies are or where the dogs are in that stage, um, kind of what their day um, includes. But um, averagely, um, the kennel staff, so we have um, many, many kennel staff. So we have five kennels, um, as you can see in those pictures. Um, and each of those kennels are um, for different um, dogs. Oh, so I see. Puppies up through the thing. And, um, and so we, um, kennel staff comes in, and we have kennel staff um, 24 hours a day. So there's always people on site for the dogs in case there's an emergency. Um, so um, in the morning, they get fed um, pretty early, about 7 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning. Kennels are cleaned. Um, we have these what's called airing yards that are um, on the side of the kennels. And so they'll, um, depending on the weather, let them out um, to run around and, you know, be dogs. <laughs> and then um, they go back in the kennels. The trainers come. They load them into their trucks. Um, so we have trucks and trailers that are all um, insulated and um, um, have fans and are made for, for weather, whether it's cold or hot. Right. Um, so the dogs go on to those trucks, and then the trainers go off and do their training all day. Um and it could be either on site. So we have um, seven different fields um, and different buildings. So two of the kennels have upstairs and we have different, we have an environmental room. So all the crazy, scary things that dogs could see out in the world. And um, we have the things set up for that. We have rooms that we do building searches. Um, and then we have all the fields um, and imprint buildings and all this stuff. Um, and then we have about 
I don't know, 60 other locations mm-hmm. off campus that we use for training. Wow. Um, so these yeah. dogs are exposed to an extraordinary Everything. assortment of, of environments. How much time do they spend with each other? Do you, Are they ever allowed to be out together hanging around? Do you let two or four or as, more of them? As puppies, as puppies and young dogs, um, we do. We socialize them so that they're, um, they learn to you know, be neutral right. to other dogs right. um, and learn to just be dogs. Um, and then as they get a little older, it depends. The Labradors, some of them we let out together. Um, we, our trainers know which dogs right. um, are good together and which ones aren't. Um, and we also, because we have our breeding program, we don't want accidental breeding. <laughs> good point. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we monitor that. Um, most of our pointy ears, um, just based on their breeds, um, they do not go out together. There's right. a couple of them that can, but most yeah. of them we, we keep them Wiser not to. Yeah, Belgian Malinois are sort of, they want to do their job <laughs> for the person who's yep. their handler. And everything else is, uh, yeah, get out of my way. It's, it's in the way. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting how different these breeds can be. So we, we hear about dogs that are purpose-bred. For example, I, my training show, Good Dogs, with Carol Borden, who runs Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs. Mm-hmm. She does a very carefully um, genetically programmed breeding program. Her puppies are raised entirely by her, her her staff and her trainers like yours. They don't go off to people's homes where, right. quite honestly, it's a cute idea, puppy raisers, right. but it actually can, all kinds of things can slip through the cracks, to put it mildly. So I know that yep. you that are training dogs that must do a job without any glitches, you do all yep. that raising yourself. But surely she has dogs that she raises that are too distractible and too high energy to be a medical service dog, and you must have at least the labs. There must be in a litter of 10 or 12 a good handful that that are not high drive, that aren't going to be good detectors. Do you guys swap? Can you, like, give any (laughs) of your fabulous labs that are perfectly bred and raised to, like, medical service dogs or seeing eye dogs? Or how does that work? So we, um, yeah, good question, because we... um... We do. We have, um, obviously, some dogs that wash out of our program. Um, I mean, that's inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah. And um, we have actually been talking to um, some of the service dog thing. And we've done it, apparently, in the past um, and kind of had a, a program where we did that. Um, we came across the thing. Even our washout dogs tend to be too much for Interesting. service dogs. Interesting. Um, so we have um, – we actually just were talking to um, – it was a veteran group um, – that we're looking at some of our dogs. And I think out of like, I don't know, 15 possible dogs that washed out of our program, they picked one. Wow. Um, so only yeah, one. Uh, and they were obviously brilliantly <laughs> healthy dogs and smart. Oh, they're very healthy dogs. They're just, they're just a little too much. Wow. <laughs> um, Isn't breeding fascinating so, that you can breed is. these it's dogs so, for this job. And somebody just is that, you know, is that like that 10% slacker? Sorry, sorry, Bailey, you're yep. not going to cut it. Yep, you're but, not going to do it. And that's just, I mean, and even for our, like, obviously our, our patrol dogs, that's even higher. Now, yes. that's why we don't do, we don't breed our own patrol dogs right now just because of that um, amount of turnover. Yes. Um, whereas our labs, we have we have outlets for that. So we do, um, we sell a lot of companion dogs, so people that want, like, hunting dogs. Oh, you um, do? Stuff like that. So we do, yeah. So you sell the dogs who are not going to be in the program, but being North Carolina, there are a lot of people who hunt. So, and a yep. lot of breeds like Labradors were in t- originally intended to be hunting dogs. Yeah, I mean, even my Weimar owners are supposed to be hunting dogs. They just hunt on their own. They have no interest in hunting with me because I'm not a hunter, but yep. they, they do plenty on their dogs, own. All of our dogs are um, 
field line um, dogs. So they are hunt dog um, genetics. Um, and so, yeah, so they make, we just sold a puppy, um, a month ago. Um, and it's going to be a fantastic hunting dog. Wow. So, yeah. So that's kind of cool because then they get repurposed into a home and have a home life, but a really focused one. Yeah. It's so, it, you know, it, on the website, it says verifiable bloodlines by internationally renowned breeders, clearly of the, the shepherds, the various kinds of shepherds, right. Malinois being a, originally a shepherd too. And I'm wondering about that because one of the things that's always concerned me in a kind of, you know, 30-mile view is these purchased by the U.S. government, Lackland Air Force Base, all of the military working dogs that are bought and trained by them as opposed to trained by you and then bought by the U.S. government, mm -hmm. I guess. They come from Eastern Europe, from backgrounds mm -hmm. that theoretically it's all bred for this kind of work, whether it's bite work and, you know, attack work or detection work. But honestly, forget the Animal Welfare Act in America. We don't know what those conditions are like, and I'm guessing they're not really swell. Ha ha where do you go for those dogs since you aren't breeding them yourself? Yeah, we so um, during COVID was actually very interesting because um, all um, importing was kind of shut down. Um, so we've been going to um, I, the canine world is is pretty small, shockingly. Yes. yes. <laughs> and and so we um, we have our you know people that we know that within the U.S. that do you know small time breeding. Nice. And before they weren't really able to do much because everyone goes to Europe. Yes. And um, and it just for quality and quantity, um, basically, I guess I want to say quality, but quantity. And, um, and so, um, so some of these smaller people that we've, we've had relationships with, um, we were able to get some, some nice dogs, um, during COVID. And now, so our, we have one, um, uh, vendor that we use, um, out of Belgium. Um, and so we have a really good relationship with them. So we, we go over there, um, once or twice a year and, um, personally select dogs and really the facility and, and know the guy. Yeah. So it's, that's um, lovely. So the Belgian Wallenois being bred in Belgium, for some reason, <laughs> I never thought of that. Seriously. I thought, oh, there are all these intense dogs coming out of Eastern Europe, which is a kind of right. vague phrase anyway, sort of like a dark underworld of high drive killer <laughs> dogs, you know? So Belgium's a very civilized country and, you know, they obviously have bred this dog and several other kinds of shepherds, right? Mm -hmm. Besides yep. the Malinois that uh, take their jobs, their their lifestyle very seriously. That's nice that you can go there. I mean, in the horse riding world, the same thing happens with fabulous jumpers, whether it's Dutch exactly. warmbloods or Belgian horses, and and trainers fly over multiple times a year and look at the horses yeah. and try them. And it's a similar thing. There's such a long, long history and tradition, and the quantity is such that you can, you have something to pick from, and then pick you just from. have to learn Dutch commands, or do they teach them the universal language of dogs, whatever that is. Yeah, a lot of them, um, some of them, if they're older, they um, we keep it. And that was kind of traditionally, we used to always kind of keep their language. But nowadays, um, they are, they're so green that when we get them that we, we just teach them English. Oh, that's so darling. Yeah, that's the real <laughs> communication with dogs is, <laughs> right. is when you're giving them commands that are life-threatening, life-saving commands. <laughs> Yeah, not like other kinds of goofy talking that that we yeah. do with pet dogs. I think it's it's quite wonderful that these American breeders have gotten more support because, you know, people worry about breeding for no good reason or breeding for pet stores, but to breed for uh, for an animal that for which there's such great need, 
and they're so highly valued and so carefully and well taken care of. It's wonderful. I mean, it must be, it's funny when you call them vendors, but they are vendors. And dogs yeah. are equipment once they become part of the military or law enforcement, yeah. highly valued, highly valued. Um, but they are equipment, but in, in a way, so is a seeing eye dog. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, it just isn't referred to that way. And so is a medical right. service dog. And so is a, an emotional, not an ESA, which is a meaningless phrase, but for, for veterans and so forth with PTSD, those dogs are equipment without which those people can't function. It's interesting because you, you obviously know all the dogs by name and you know their personalities and who gets along with whom. And you, you I'm sure, match handlers with dogs, don't you, personality-wise? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we have, um, so it's kind of a little bit different. We have um, our, our paying clients, so like our law enforcement agencies and our military um, groups that come in and um, buy dogs from us and then go through courses. Um, so they kind of select the dogs that they want. We show them ones that, you know, might fit their needs, and then they pick what they want. And then we have our personal, our handlers that um, are K2 employees that come through course, um, our, our person-born and our cargo courses. And so they'll, we, we recruit them, we select them, they come to course, and then we pair them with um, one of our dogs um, that we think will best be suited for them. And then once they, they have an eight-week course, and once they um, certify and graduate, then they go home with that dog. And that dog lives with them and, and is their partner um, until they choose to leave. Um, and so, yeah, so we match, um, kind of try to, try to do it very well and um, most of it, we've been doing pretty good um, with matching kind of personalities and the drive of the dog, um, matching with the drive of the, the handler. Um, you can pretty much get that. guarantee that anybody coming to get one of the K2 canines is a pretty high drive person to begin with. So the default is that the dogs are high drive, the people are high drive, everybody <laughs> has a goal, and it tends to be the same goal. I think it's fascinating. I know that with an appointment you can visit. If I was anywhere north, near North Carolina, I would love to be a fly on the wall oh, and absolutely. see these dogs work and train. And I, I don't want to tell people that it's, you know, like a destination holiday. It isn't Disneyland. <laughs> but for those of us who love dogs and really admire and appreciate what they can do and how they're trained to do it, I think what you're doing is fabulous. And I really appreciate your time to talk about it. Keep up the good work. Make lots of wonderful puppies. And wherever they wind up, they're going to be very happy campers. So thanks a lot, Lainey DeLong. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle, which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.